Well, good afternoon. It's good to see you all. Um, was an interesting last seven odd days. Uh, almost exactly seven days ago, I was writing this sermon, and about 7 p.m. on Friday night, I just felt ill. And Jinha would have given you a bit of an update last Saturday, but 7 o'clock rolls around, and I walk downstairs, and I tell Jinha, you know, I don't feel very good, and I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna throw up. And I was like, yep, it's gonna happen. <laughs> and I made a beeline to the bathroom, and it was just, about 15 minutes later, I was bedridden. And it was the weirdest sensation to feel completely fine, and then just go through, like, chills, and just not be able to get out of bed. And it was horrible for about two and a half days. And so I'm just very grateful to Jinha that she was able to say, yep, gonna start sermon prep at about 9 or 10 p.m. Friday night. <laughs> gonna preach Saturday. And so it was definitely a bit of a roller coaster for the family and I'm very grateful to Jinha for holding down everything for that period of time. Um this week has gone much better. Um health has definitely improved, which I'm very thankful for. And as you know it's my birthday tomorrow and so almost half of my entire lifetime has has gone and passed. <laughs> and and I know it's a weird thing but just you know, every year before this year, whenever it was my birthday, I would think, oh, it's my birthday. And now I just kind of, life feels so transient and I don't know how to shake that feeling. So <laughs> maybe I'll have to ask those who have gone before me, how do you, how do you get over the, uh, the 3940 hump? <laughs> but, uh, thank you all for being here today and, uh, I hope that you can stay afterwards and, um, just share a meal together. I thought it'd be a good opportunity to just catch up. So, we're going to be continuing our journey through the Bible to explore God's mission and what it means to be a part of God's mission. So today, we're going to be looking at exploring God's mission through families, and we're going to look at part one. Oh, that might not come out. Nope, I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> now, to begin, I want to ask you, do you know that there's an island in Papua New Guinea named Bougainville? It's true. So Bougainville Island sits between Papua New Guinea and the Solomon Islands. And geographically, if you look at where the island lies, it looks like it belongs to the Solomon Islands. But in reality, it actually belongs to Papua New Guinea, even though the people generally identify with the Solomon Islands more. Now, in 1988, there was conflict between Papua New Guinea and the Solomon Islands over Bougainville. And this took place as a result of uh, mining disputes partially. Now, after nine years of conflict, there was a truce that was established in 1997, and the results led to the formation of something called the Peace Monitoring Group, which was made up of Australians, New Zealanders, Fijians, and people from Vanuatu. Now, a key component to this mission of PMG was to rebuild infrastructure, so they would rebuild schools and hospitals uh, and roads, and they would also provide support to the community, but most importantly, they were there to maintain peace, especially for the upcoming elections that were going to take place. Now, members of the PMG were easily, easily recognizable because they would wear yellow as uniforms. They would wear these bright yellow hats, and it would say PMG, and there was a little bit of a, there was a symbol for um, their, their peacekeeping group. Um, and they also wore yellow shirts, and they had yellow armbands that they wore on the outer garments, as you can see in the picture. Now, one of the officers of the PMG was Australian Army Reservist Sergeant Penelope Poppy Searle. 
Penelope Searle grew up in a family with a strong history of military service. I wanted to get a picture of her family, but it was very low resolution, and so I'll just tell you. So her great-grandfather served as a medic in World War II. Then her great-grandfather served in World War II and retired as a colonel. And her two uncles served in the British Army, and her dad joined the Royal Naval Reserve because of his love for the sea. Now, growing, growing up in that environment, uh, Penel Penelope Searle um, had this lifelong ambition to actually enlist in the army and serve her country. And so when she had the opportunity to go help the peace process in Bougainville, she signed up and volunteered. Now, as a young lady, she was encouraged to practice languages. And by the end of her uh, education, she could speak French, German, Swahili, and Japanese. And you can imagine, as she went to Papua New Guinea, um, she, she tried to learn as much pidgin as she possibly could. When asked why she was so interested in languages, she said, I think you understand other people better if you make the effort to use their language, even if all you can say is hello and please and thank you. So during her deployment, Sergeant Searle spent time getting to know the locals. Um, as I mentioned, she learned pidgin, and she really got alongside of the locals as they rebuilt Bougainville. Now, as her team's radio operator, Poppy carried a portable high-frequency radio on patrols, and this was essential for the team's safety, especially when they would um, come across dangerous situations. Now, can you imagine being in a country where you're providing support that has had conflict for nine years, and people would have been really upset. Like, not everybody would have been happy about the results of the peace. And so here they are trying to help the community. Then there are tense situations, but their mission dictates that they can't carry, like, firearms. And so their job is to maintain peace. And so I imagine that it would have been quite difficult in certain circumstances. Well, Sergeant Searle made this keen observation uh, to the nature of her team's mission. The qualities needed to stay safe and achieve the mission were different to if you had a weapon. It was important to be flexible and compassionate, but always professional and clear about the mission and the overarching responsibilities. Pretty incredible. Well, after the mission was complete, Sergeant Poppy and her team went back home, and today she is the director of this place. I'm not going to try and read it, but she is the director of this art center in the, in the Northern Territories. Now, Sergeant Poppy's story interests me for a number of re reasons, but the one that I'm going to highlight is this. Sergeant Poppy's upbringing in a military family instilled in her heart a desire to serve her country. Now, I couldn't find the statistics for Australian enlistees, but what I wanted to know was, what percentage of enlistees in the military are there? Um, oh, sorry, what percentage of enlistees have family members that have previously enlisted? That's what I wanted to know. Well, in 2019, 79% of all enlistees in the U.S. military had relatives who had served, and 30% of enlistees had parents who had served. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if military service in Australia were also a family affair. And this brings me to today's topic, God's mission through families. I believe that upbringing is one of the most important factors to faith development. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be born into a Christian family to now believe, but I just want to say that it certainly makes a difference. I grew up in a family where we had family worship uh, regularly, almost every day, every evening. 
we read through books like Steps of Christ and devotionals written for adults in Korean. And at the age of five, I had no idea what was being read. I had no idea what was being said. And I was bored out of my mind. But every day, we sang a song from the hymnal and we read, we read something spiritual. My parents took my brother and I to church every Friday night for Vespers. And then they would take us to church on Sabbath. I was sent to a Seventh-day Adventist school from prep to year 12. And what's comical is that after I graduated high school and went to a secular tertiary education uh, institute, that's when I gave my life to Christ. And I'm not sure if I needed the contrast and once I was in a non-Christian environment, then I saw the value of it. I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but um, what I can say is having those Uh, practicing those spiritual disciplines, being in that Christian environment certainly laid a foundation for the decisions that I made as an adult. I got to watch my parents faithfully attend church year after year after year. Sometimes my parents, they observed conflict within the church. Sometimes my parents were at the center of that conflict. And no joke, my mom, she was a firecracker and she butted heads with one of the pastors that had spent time in our church and he uh week in week in week in and week out he would uh present the prosperity gospel but we were poor and so my mother made it known to him (laughs) that she was not happy about this and things just ended up snowballing in our church sometimes the church did my parents wrong my dad had served as a choir director of his, uh, for his church on and off for over 15 years. And there are pictures in our family photo album of my dad in the 80s, and he's got like his post-70s fro, and he's got curly hair like I do, and there he is, you know, directing the choir up front. And one year, um, the committee had voted, and they said, we would like um, Elder Kim to be the choir director. And so he thought, great, like I, I love choir. And so he said, yes, I accept the role. Well, later on, about a week later, the church pastor sat down with him and said, hey, listen, I want a different choir director. And the pastor overthrew the whole decision of the church, and basically he brought somebody in that he wanted to step into that role. Now, I remember watching my dad, and, you know, it's it's an Asian ethnic church. And when you when you offend somebody like that, it doesn't go unnoticed. It, it, it would have been a big deal. And my dad took the decision graciously, and he served the new incoming choir director. He didn't make a big deal out of it. He just said, I will serve in whatever way I can. So every Friday night when it was time to practice, he would go and make copies of the songs that they were going to practice, and then he set the songbooks out in the chairs so that people could come and practice, and you know the practice would run seamlessly. Um, yeah, and then he just he never brought it up. He never complained about it at home. He just went to church. And for me, as a teenager, I was livid. I thought, why would you do that? You know, even to this day, choir is a very important part of my dad's life. I mean, pre-pandemic, my dad was a part of three different choirs that he went to multiple times during the week. Like, it was his life. It was so important for my parents that their kids would cultivate a knowledge of God, and it was their mission that really shaped both my brother and I. Well, the Bible gives us this great example in the life of Abraham and Sarah of what it means to respond to God's mission as a family. Today, I'm going to cover part one, um, and I'll cover some observations of what it means to be a part of a family centered on God's mission. In part two of the series, we'll cover how to discover God's mission. So let's begin. 
In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, we read about God's call to Abraham and Sarah um, to, to follow him. And the text says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now Abraham hears this invitation and thinks to himself, this sounds pretty good. And so he um, he says, I think I'll go. Now when you look at this initial call, it sounds like a huge deal. Think about what is being asked of Abraham. Step away from your family. Go leave your country. Leave your beliefs. Leave all that you know and follow me, a deity that you do not know. I wonder what it was like for Abraham the first time he heard God the first time he heard God's voice. He must have wondered like where did that come from? Am I schizophrenic? Like what's going on here? How do I trust God? How do I know that this is real? Now, even though well, I think for many of us when we look at the life of Abraham, we can also resonate with that sentiment. You know, oftentimes when Christ is being presented and Christianity is being presented, it feels like a big step to step away from that which you already know and to accept something that you are unfamiliar with. Oftentimes Christianity is presented as a huge decision because in a lot of ways it is. And while the reward is significant, the cost is also high. You know, as I read the story of Abraham, I learned something new about the call of God. And I want to share that with you. Now, we just read that God called Abraham to leave everything. But if you look at Genesis chapter 11, the chapter right before the call that's given to Abraham, you'll notice something interesting. So here's the passage about Abraham's family. Terah, this is Abraham's dad, took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, uh, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abraham. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Now, did you know that before Abraham was told by God to leave his family and his country that his dad had already done it? If you look at a map, let's see if I can find, let's see if this works. No, fuck it, never mind. (laughs) I've circled them. If you look at Ur, that's where Abraham's family lived beforehand. And then if you look at Haran up top, that's where Abraham's dad takes the whole family. That's when God comes to Abraham and says, leave everything that you know. And that big circle is where Abraham ends up. Now, the distance between Haran and Canaan is about 50 kilometers. And so the most difficult part of the decision that Abraham has to make is already made by his dad. And my point in sharing this is that I think when we look at God's expectations, we see this huge mountain. On the journey up the mountain, there are all these decisions and sacrifices that need to be made. And we feel like the first step is the top of the mountain. And this is largely because of the way the decision to follow Christ is presented in the church. And I have often done that from the front. 
give up all that you know and follow Jesus. And I've, I've preached those sermons, plenty of them. But I, as I read the actual stories of, of faith from people, I see many small decisions. In this story, I see a God that is reasonable, patient, and understanding. God knows this is going to be a difficult decision for Abraham. And so something gets put in the heart of Terah, his, his dad, first, go leave Ur. Go take your family. Can you imagine, basically, God is telling Abraham, hey, go move from Lilydale to Coburg. That's, that's not like a huge move, right? This isn't the only example where this happens. If you remember the call given to Abraham, the promise was that God would make from Abraham and his wife Sarah a great nation. And the implication is that they would have to have children. And the journey of obtaining this child is very important in the story of Abraham and Sarah. They try and try and try to have children, but to no avail. And in desperation, Sarah tells Abraham, marry my servant Hagar and have a child through her. Maybe this is what God wants. Now, I want to ask the Melbourne City Adventist Church Children's Sabbath School. I know they're over there in the corner. So kiddos, I want to ask you, when Abraham married Hagar, do you think this was God's original plan? No. See, they know. They know the answer to this. This is not God's original plan. God wants that good job, Micah. It's a pastor's kid. <laughs> now, Abraham listens to his wife, and he marries Hagar, and they have a child, Ishmael. And it isn't until many years later that Abraham and Sarah have their own son, Isaac. Now, Abraham fails this test of faith, and it really affects his whole family and the future, um, his future. Now, if you fast forward to the life of Isaac, his son, you'll see Isaac faces the exact same challenge that his dad faces. So here's Genesis chapter 25, verses 20 and 21. It says, Isaac is 40 years old when he marries Rebekah. We're going to fast forward, and in verse 21, it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. Now, even though the father and the son face the same challenges, you, say, you see a generational development in faith. Where Abraham marries his wife's servant, Isaac prays when he sees and experiences the same challenge. God, please open my wife's womb. And God listens. You know, when we look at faith, I think we feel like we have to get it all right the first time. We have to have it all together. We have to overcome the monumental steps of faith in order to be acceptable to God. And while God does call us to make significant steps in our lives, we don't have to get it all right at once. God knows we are human, and sometimes we can only go so far and in this story, we see that God accepts that. So then if you look at the steps that are in front of you, the question becomes, in what area am I willing to move? God, what am I willing to give you? And this story tells us that God will work with that. The story of Abraham is making me think about generational faith. This concept, for me, it alleviates the pressure to get it all right in my life. And my prayer is starting to shift to God, help my kids take my faith and build on it. I won't get it all right, but I know you can make them better. 
you know, feeling like you've made a mistake as a parent, it's one of the worst feelings that you can experience. Uh, this, this week, actually just a few days ago, Micah did not want to practice piano, and I just cracked it. <laughs> as I think about it now, like, I'm like laughing at myself because like, it's piano practice. But in the moment, it just, it became this huge deal. And I'm like, there's this fear of like, you're going to fail in life because you don't want to practice piano. Like, you're not able to do something that you don't feel like doing. And it just, it got blown out of proportion. So sorry, Micah. Now, after these interactions, like, I kind of wonder, am I scarring my child? Am I emotion? Am I giving them emotional damage? Like, what's going to happen to them long term? What effects will my poor parenting have on my kids? Well, let's continue the story. As I've mentioned, Sarah and Abraham, they're not able to have children. But according to God's promise, lo and behold, Sarah gets pregnant. And now there's this competition between Abraham's two sons and his two wives. We pick up in Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 to 10. It says, the child, this is uh, Isaac, he grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. So here's Abraham. He's caught in the middle of this family dispute. And he ends up listening to Sarah, and he kicks out Hagar and Ishmael. Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you felt like you messed up as parents? Anyone kick out their children yet? No? Then you're not as bad as Sarah and Abraham. (laughs) And even if you have kicked out their children... Continue to follow with me in this story. <laughs> I know none of you have, but maybe someone in the interweb has that, that's going to watch this later on. In Genesis chapter 21, verses 11 to 13, it says that the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Now we can spend a lot of time looking at Abraham's faults. But I want to spend time looking at God in this moment. To do this, we have to go back a little bit in the story and rewind a bit. Now when Hagar marries Abraham and gets pregnant, her and Sarah, they don't get along. And it gets so bad that Hagar runs away. And the Bible says that the angel of the Lord, she uh, searches for Hagar and brings comfort to her. So here in Genesis chapter 16, verses 7 to 13, the angel of the Lord finds Hagar near the desert, and he says, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from? Where are you going? And she explains, I've run away in my distress. And the angel says, go back to your mistress. I will increase your descendants, verse 10, so that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You'll name him Ishmael. And basically, God is going to watch out for this, for, for your son. And Hagar, encouraged, goes back to, to Sarah. Now, what I want you to think about is before Hagar and Ishmael get kicked out of the home of Abraham and Sarah, 
Hagar had run away previously. And the only reason she comes back to Abraham and Sarah is because God chases after her and says, Hagar, go back. Now my question is, why does God bring Hagar back if in a number of years she's just going to get kicked out anyway? Just let the poor woman and the, unchild, or the unborn child go. I feel like their life would have been easier. Like save the kid from feeling abandoned and rejected from his own dad. Now you imagine the emotional trauma that Ishmael now has to go through as a teenager or however old he was. You know, a little factoid, the, the breaking down the name of the word Ishmael, Ish in Hebrew means man. Ma is a preposition from, and El is short for Elohim. So his name means man from God. So his whole life, Abraham would have told him, you're the promised son. And through you, God is going to make great nations. Yet, Abraham then kicks him out. So like, keep that in mind. So here, when Hagar first runs away when she gets pregnant, God brings her back. And my question is, why? And the only thing I could think of is, God brings uh, Hagar back because even if Sarah is not interested in Ishmael and Hagar, God is. God wanted to spend time with Ishmael. He wanted Ishmael to be around the God of Abraham, and God wanted Ishmael to learn of truth. Notice what happens when Ishmael and Hagar get kicked out. In Genesis chapter 21, verses 14 to 21, it says, Early the next morning, Abraham took food and a skin of water, and he gives it to Hagar, and he sends them away. In verse 15, the water runs out, and Hagar has to lay her son underneath some bushes so that he can die in shade. And she just begins to weep because she knows that her son is going to die. Well, in verse 17, it says, God heard the boy crying. Notice it doesn't say that God heard Hagar crying. God heard Ishmael crying. And that, that then explains the years that God wants to spend with Ishmael. He develops his own faith. So then in verse 18, the angel instructs Hagar, lift the boy up. I'm going to make him into a great nation. And in verse 19, then God opens her eyes and she sees a well of water and she's able to restore, Ab- uh, she's able to restore Ishmael. Now, Hagar is weeping, oh, excuse me, <clears throat> Abraham and Sarah reject Hagar and Ishmael, but God does not reject them. He has a plan for them. You know, it's kind of interesting. It's so easy to fixate on a problem, and when we fixate on problems, we're not able to see solutions, even though they're, in with, they're in within our grasp. But here, God opens Hagar's eyes. God communicates to Hagar and Ishmael, I have chosen you. I have a plan for you. Did you know that Muslims acknowledge Ishmael as the forefather of Islam? I think we easily dismiss Islam as a false religion without considering all the truth that God has instilled in that religion. And I'm not saying go join Islam. I'm saying God loves Muslims, and Islam has enough truth to be drawn to him. And that should change the way that we interact with them. But back to the original point. If you are a parent and you feel like you've royally messed up with your kids, 
have faith and take courage because God cares about them more than you ever could. If you identify with Ishmael, or perhaps you identify with Ishmael, you feel neglected and rejected by your own parents. I want to tell you today, God sees you as a part of his family. Take courage. All is not lost, even if all is difficult. See, following God, it feels like a challenge and a sacrifice. And even if you can't give it all, give what you can. Because faith is generational. Don't fixate on your mistakes because God is bigger than your mistakes and the mistakes of your parents. Part of this generational faith, it's dedicate your life and your families to God. So today, I want to encourage you to do that. If you have a newborn, I want to encourage you to dedicate your child. Include God in as much of your life as you can. And may you sense God in your life as you do this. Will you join me in prayer as we close for today? Father God, we just want to thank you for being bigger than our mistakes. We want to thank you for taking the little bit that we can give you and you can, uh, that, and that you are a God that can turn it into something greater. And so, Father, as there are many of us who are a part of families, I pray that you would give us wisdom as to how to make you the center of our families. And for those of us who are not in nuclear families, Father, you also have a mission and a plan for us as well. And I just pray that you would draw near to us and journey with us as we, as we give you our lives. So, Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers, for we ask this in your name. Amen.